hear the word of the Lord coming from Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, through and including chapter 2, verse 10. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Many of you I know have heard this by now, but this week we did lose a very dear covenant partner and friend of many of us, Gay Plack. Gay was a beautiful person and a gifted artist and a faithful servant and a good friend and a daughter of the king. And Gay also battled for a long time with mental illness, uh, specifically bipolar disorder. And on Tuesday, in a struggle with police who were making a welfare check on her, Kay was shot, and later she died in the hospital. We're just so sad. I mean, we're so grieved, so shocked. I know some of you are angry. And it's terrible. It's a horrific, confusing situation. And I just want to urge us to not give into cynicism and speculation but to turn with all of our hearts to the Lord. And we're going to do that this afternoon at 2 o'clock when we celebrate Kay's life and when we look to the hope of the resurrection to come. But let me just say this to, to all of us. Mental illness is a serious struggle that we do not talk about enough, that the church does not talk about enough. Uh, we know that one in five Americans struggle with mental illness in some way. And if you are one of those people, as I have been myself, I just want you to know that you are not alone. Gay was very open and honest about her struggle. She was open about how she had to cling to Jesus in that struggle. And as a result, she became an enormous helper to others who suffered in that way. And so you are not alone. Uh, your struggle is not your fault. And God is with you. He sees you. And he is there to be your helper. Already, it's amazing, y'all, because already Gay's death is opening up conversations and possibilities about how the church and about how the society at large can better engage and come alongside people who are suffering in this way. So along with our prayers for Gay's family and for those who've been affected, let's just continue to pray that God uses 
Gay's beautiful life uh, and her courage and her servant-heartedness and her love to foster deeper empathy, deeper compassion, and deeper love for all of us, for those who suffer in that way. So let's pray for that now and for the Word of God. We do thank you, Father, for Gay Plack, and we're so thankful for that our sister uh, has laid her burdens down, uh, made whole and with you. And we do pray that you would continue to use her and her beautiful life and her courage to help uh, foster in the church and in the broader uh, Richmond in the world a deeper empathy, a compassion, and effectiveness in helping those who suffer with mental illness. And we do pray now that you would pour out your spirit on all of us and on me as we hear your word preached and today, that you would help us to be those who don't just hear, but those who respond to your word with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I need to make just a little bit confession to you all that I actually really enjoy eavesdropping. Uh, I, I have always enjoyed that. Um, I like to sit in coffee shops and sort of tilt my head a little bit and hear at the table. It, it's because, I tell myself it's because I'm so interested in human behavior and I'm so interested in how the gospel affects and changes human behavior. At least that's what I tell myself. Um, but it's, it's fun. I mean, just this week I heard um, a couple talking about how they plan to carve their pumpkin for Halloween. Um, I heard a dad talking to his son about why he cannot wear pajamas to school. And don't we all wonder that? I mean, why can't we? It's just clothes. I mean, give me a break. Um, I also heard a couple people talking about some pretty profound stuff, you know, meaning of life kind of stuff. It is so interesting the things that you can hear when people do not know that you are listening to them. <laughs> I've never done this to you. I, I don't think so. Um, here, here's what's so remarkable about this chapter. We get to eavesdrop on a man in a most remarkable situation. <laughs> we get to listen in on probably one of those remarkable situations that any man has ever found himself in. We get to listen in on the meditations of a man who is trapped inside a cold-blooded vertebrate, a fish. <laughs> we get to listen to a man talking with his God from the inside of a fish. And what do we hear when we listen in? We hear the meditations of a person in serious self-reflection. We hear the process of personal change that is beginning to happen in this stubborn man's heart. Uh, We get to hear from him in his own mouth about the beauty of disruptive grace. So would you eavesdrop a little bit with me this morning? Eavesdrop on another guy's prayer. Eavesdrop on the meditations of a man inside a fish. Because I think what we're going to learn from eavesdropping on this person is that grace is the only thing that can truly change a human heart. Grace is the only thing. It's the only thing that can truly change a human heart. So I want to meditate just a little bit with you on grace this morning, just in three ways. First, I want to talk to you um, about the moment of grace, when grace often hits us, when grace often comes. Uh, Second, I want to talk about the meaning of grace. What is grace exactly? What do we learn about it? And then third, I want to talk about the marks of grace. How do you know when grace is really starting to change you? when it's really starting to change your life. So first, let's talk about the moment of grace. When does grace often come? Well, look at this story again with me, okay? Jonah is sinking down. Kids, I want you to especially imagine this scenario for me, okay? Put yourself in his shoes. He actually tells us what was going on here. You know, back then, no one knew how to swim. Uh, And of course, it was a hurricane, so he couldn't have swum anyway. And so he he gets thrown in by the sailors, and he begins to sink. Now, imagine this, sinking down into the deep, dark sea. He says in verse 3, that he was sinking into the very heart of the sea. The currents were swirling around him. Imagine that. 
Imagine he says that he was engulfed in the waters. Doesn't know which way is up, which way is down, left or right. He says that seaweed was beginning to wrap up his head. Can you imagine? And then it says in verse 17 that the Lord provided or appointed a fish to swallow him up. And Jonah finds himself in this cramped and watery container in pitch darkness in a tiny little amphibious cave. Nowhere to move in the total darkness, wet and cold, cut off from the world, cut off from everything. This is where we find him here. And the author, you know, if you remember back in chapter, uh, when I first started this, this uh, series back two weeks ago, I talked about how any movement away from God always ends up going in what direction? Do you remember? What direction? Down, right? How down truly has Jonah gone? Okay, he went down to Joppa to buy a ticket. He went down to the ship. He went down into the belly of the ship. Now he's gone down into the ocean, and now he's been swallowed up by a fish to go deep down into the heart of the sea. He is all the way down at the bottom. And there, right there, is where he begins to grasp grace, right at the bottom. Here in the darkness, here in the depths, grace finally begins to break through. It's only when he is stripped of everything. He's stripped of all of his resources. He is, his life has collapsed. It's only then that Jonah's deliverance becomes possible. That's the moment of grace. The moment of grace is often when we are at the bottom. The moments that we are in the depths, uh, when we are sinking down, when we are in a place of deep loss, isolation, constrainment, that is often the place where God breaks through to us with a revelation of grace. A lot of you know this. Uh, I was talking with a friend this week. Some of you know David Scove, uh, who's an elder of our church, and Dave told me it was okay for me to tell you about this, but um, you know, Dave is dealing with a really, really serious uh, bout of cancer right now. You wouldn't know it looking at him, but he is, and every day he has to go to radiation treatment every single day. Uh, it's just gutting. And I was talking with Dave, and he brought up this series about Jonah, and he said, you know, this cancer has been the most remarkable gift. I said, what? He said, yeah, it has awakened me to God's very near presence. Uh, it has filled me with gratitude for the most simple things, uh, and it has driven me to daily dependence on, on the Lord. He said, so when, when you said that first year, disruptive grace... I knew exactly what you were talking about. It's what I have often called, he said, severe mercy. Severe mercy. You might have heard that phrase before, severe mercy. It's actually the name of a wonderful book written by a guy named Sheldon Van Auken. It's a memoir. I highly commend it. He writes in this book about his almost fairy tale love affair and marriage with his wife, Davy. And in the middle of their marriage, as they were sort of happy atheists, Davy contracts a very rare form of cancer. But in the midst of her battle with cancer, Davy dies. I'm sorry, Davy comes to know Jesus Christ and eventually dies. And her husband, in contrary, becomes more angry, more defiant. He can't believe that God, that she would turn to a God that would allow such a thing to happen. But it's only after she dies and after he sees the, her amazing transformation and how she becomes this person of joy and he sees her love and through his own friendship with C.S. Lewis, that Sheldon himself comes to surrender his life to Jesus Christ. And this is what he writes in the book. He says, that death, her death, so full of suffering for us both, suffering that still overwhelmed my life, was yet a severe mercy. 
a mercy as severe as death, a severity as merciful as love. Disruptive grace, severe mercy. It's when God allows certain things to happen in our lives that are painful and even excruciating, but later comes to bring about more good in our lives than you could have ever really ever imagined or foreseen, right? Because it's only here in the bottom and the place of depth and darkness that Jonah finally wakes up. He says in verse seven, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. This is the dude, you know, who refused to pray, who, who was on the run, who wanted nothing to do with God. Finally, in this place, at the bottom, in the crisis, he remembers and he cries out to the Lord. And y'all, this is what we need sometimes. There are character flaws in your life that you cannot see. Uh, there are places of brokenness in your life that you are blind to. Um, there are ways that you are running from God that you are suppressing and ignoring. And often it takes disruptive grace, severe mercy. It's only when we reach the bottom, when everything falls apart, when your resources are exhausted, when you come to the end of yourself, it's often only then when we're ready. We're ready to throw ourselves upon God and to trust him and to trust him alone. I say this from experience, friends. God has had to do this to me many times. And so when it comes to grace, here's how it works. I'm sorry to tell you this. When it comes to grace, the way up is the way down. The way to the top is through the very bottom. It's only when we reach the very bottom do we learn grace. Now, let me just say, I know that some of you are in that place right now. Uh, what should you do? Well, I just want to encourage you to, to, like Jonah, to awaken to the fact that God is there with you, right there in the dark. He's with you in it. He's with you in the pit. Psalm 139 says, even the darkest depths, you are there. Friends, when it comes to God, look, there is no place too low. There is no hole so dark. There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. He goes all the way down. He's deeper still. And so in this place of darkness, I just invite you to be like Jonah, to waken up and to cry out to him. He loves you. He's with you. He will answer you. He will with his grace. So that's the moment of grace. It's the moment we hit the bottom. Okay, what about the meaning of grace? We, we talk so much about grace. We brought that word up in this series all the time. Christians use that word all the time. But what is it? What is grace exactly? Sometimes it almost becomes a synonym for like being nice or kind or something. But that's not what biblical grace really is. What is grace? Y'all, in this prayer from the fish, we learn some great theology of grace. We great clarity about what this doctrine of grace is all about. So let me propose to you a definition I think that we can glean from this prayer. Grace is this. Grace is God's unmerited, costly intervention to rescue us from sin and death. Grace is God's unmerited, costly intervention to rescue us from sin and death. Let me, let me walk through that with you, starting from the end and moving, moving backwards. So first, from sin and death. If you really want to understand grace, you got to come to terms with the predicament that we find ourselves in. And oh, what a predicament Jonah was in. It doesn't get much worse than that one, does it? <laughs> Jonah was in this terrible, unresolvable descent into death entirely because of him, because of his rebellion and sin. So note some of the words he uses. He's recognizing this. He says, you hurled me into the depths, all your ways and breakers. I said, I am been banished from your sight. He says in verse two, I have found myself in the depths of the grave, which is that great Hebrew word, sheol. 
the, the place of the dead. So Jonah ran to get free from God, and instead of freedom, he's in the realm of the dead. This is what the Bible says our predicament is as human beings. You know, why is the world so messed up? Why do people keep doing this stuff to each other? Why are things so broken? There are a whole lot of suggestions out there. You know, human beings, we need more enlightenment. We need better education. We need better political policy. We need better psychology. You know, but the Bible is really frank on what the problem is, and that is that we are guilty sinners whose rebellion has put us in a death spiral. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's some serious bad news. Human beings trapped in a death cycle, triggered by sin, runaway rebels sinking under the judgment of God. And y'all, I know that is a pretty countercultural thing to say right now in our culture because uh, most folks say that I mean, we learn that our basic problem is with our self-esteem and our shame and self-incrimination, and those things are problems indeed. But let me tell you, if you are going to understand just how radical, just how deep, just how world-shaking, just how upside down and beautiful the grace of God is, then you've got to begin with the bad news. If all you think is wrong with the human race is that we just need a little bit of moral redirection and psychological inspiration, then God's grace will never change you. Because the Bible teaches that sin has done to us what it has done to Jonah. It leaves us sinking into Sheol, the pit of death. Okay? So that's sin and death. But there's good news, friends. God has intervened to rescue us. This is the second essential element of grace. Jonah could do nothing to save himself. He was toast, sinking into the bottom of the ocean. Nothing he could do. And what happened? Verse 17, but God appointed a fish. Seriously, can you appoint a fish? Uh, I have tried many times when fly fishing to appoint a fish upon my hook. Uh, It does not work. No man, no woman can appoint a fish. No person can save themselves. Only God could appoint a fish. Only God can save. Only God can bring a human being up from sin and death. And friends, that's the heart of grace. Not just that we're sinners, but that God alone can save us. God alone can rescue us. Verse six, Jonah says, you brought my life up from the pit. And again, we are out of step with the culture here because we often want to believe if there's a problem, we can do, we can fix it. We can make ourselves better. We can heal ourselves. We can pull ourselves up. We can make it right through hard work, religion, discipline. But God, grace says, no, only God can save. Paul puts it like this. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but God. Let's all say that together, that that glorious conjunction. Let's just say, but God. Can we say it together? But God raised us up in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. We were dead, but God. Jonah was sinking down, but God appointed the fish. I call those the glorious buts of the Bible. You know, but God. We were sinking down, but God. Jonah was dead, but God. We were facing the grave, but God. We were facing damnation, but God. God acted to save, and God alone We did not make this happen. We did not ask for it. We did not contribute to it. Only grace makes sense if you believe deep within your soul that you cannot possibly save yourself but God alone. So God intervenes to rescue, and then the final thing is is that it is unmerited and costly. It is unmerited. Does anyone have to be convinced that Jonah deserved to die? You know, he knew he deserved to die. The sailors knew he deserved to die. But God acted to save. Why? Because he loved Jonah. He loves sinners. He loves rebels. He loves runaways. He loves you. He loves me. His grace is undeserved, unmerited, unearned. 
and it is costly, right? It's costly. Sometimes people think that God's grace is no big deal. It's his job, right? I sin, God forgives. Great arrangement, right? Great deal. But friends, grace will never be a big deal to you if that's what you think. Notice that Jonah does not just look to God. Two times, he says, he looks to the temple. Did you notice that? Verse four, I will look again to your temple. Verse seven, my prayer rises to your temple, which is really weird, right? Jonah is super far from the temple. Why is he thinking about the temple in the belly of a fish? Because deep in the Jewish psyche was the temple system. That system of atonement, the system of blood and sacrifice, the heart of their relationship with God. Jonah had been to the temple many times. He had seen an animal sacrifice on behalf, saw the blood poured out for his own sin. He knew that forgiveness was costly. He knew that grace was not free, that it demanded sacrifice and life. And so Jonah doesn't say, hey man, thanks so much for saving me, God, because that's your job. No, he says, I look to your temple because I remember the costly nature of my forgiveness, that it is not free, that it demands life. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we know that that whole temple system was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who became sin for us, that we might be reconciled to God. Grace is only grace until you see it's unmerited and it's costly. And so here in the belly of the fish, we end up with this remarkable definition of grace. Grace is God's unmerited, costly intervention to rescue us from sin and death. And in this sort of amazing summary statement in verse nine, this is what Jonah cries out. He says, salvation is from the Lord, which many people say is not just the most perfect summary of the book of Jonah, but it's, it's almost like the perfect summary of the entire Bible. You wanna, if anybody asks you, how do I summarize the message of the entire Bible? You can quote Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. In fact, I have to show you all this. I know this is a little weird, but I was standing in front of this guy in a bakery and he had this tattooed on his leg. I took a picture of it. I don't know if you could see that very well, but it's, a, it's Jonah inside a fish and around it, it says salvation is of the Lord. Y'all are gonna think I'm real. Not only do I eavesdrop, but I take pictures of, <laughs> of people's tattoos, but I just wanted to hug this guy and say, you get it, right? Salvation is from the Lord. It belongs to him and him alone, not God partly and you partly. Not you halfway and God halfway. No, God did it through Jesus Christ. God has acted completely and comprehensively. Jesus did not come to show us a better way to live or to give us a good example or to show us how to get to heaven. No, y'all, the Christianity, Christianity is not good advice. It's good news. It's good news that God has come in Jesus Christ to act completely and comprehensively to save. He has lived the perfect life we never could have lived. He has died the brutal death we deserve to die. He has suffered the judgment on our behalf. He has risen from the dead for our resurrection. He has ascended into heaven and given us the spirit to guarantee us eternal life. Believing in Jesus, we receive everything that Jesus earned and we get it for free. That's grace. God acts to reverse our situation from total destruction to total and everlasting life. Salvation comes from the Lord. Thanks be to God. So that's the meaning of grace. It doesn't get any better than that, friends. I'm surprised you're not like you're running out of the church right now for joy. But I know you're Presbyterian, so you would never do such a thing. <laughs> Let's look at one last thing, though. Marks of grace. How do you know if grace is really taking root in your life and beginning to change you? We get the, again, because of our eavesdropping, we get to witness grace beginning to change a stubborn-hearted man like Jonah. Now, this is only the beginning. He's got a whole lot way to go, and as we see when we come to chapter four, he has a serious relapse, <laughs> and God needs to come bring down the hammer again. 
But we do begin to see some small signs that grace is beginning to change Jonah. What are they? Let me mention a few. First of all, gratitude. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. He cries out, verse 9, I cry out to you with shouts of grateful praise. One of the marks that grace has really gotten into a person is that they're becoming a whole lot more grateful and joyful and humble. Have you all ever noticed that religious people can just be some of the worst people? Uh, they can be some of the meanest and, and uh, most um, cranky and acerbic people that you ever meet. W- why is that? Well, because they think God owes them, right? If bad things happen, they're resentful because they think that God, they don't deserve it. If good things happen, they think they've somehow earned it. You know, deep down, they might even feel like that God is just sure fortunate to have them on his team. Um, and so there's just a sense of crankiness and entitlement and superiority that sort of plagues the life of a moral religious, religious person. But people who have been changed by grace, oh my gosh, they're just so thankful because they're in. And they're, I mean, it's like you're that guy at that party who got, somehow got invited because of a plus one or something to some exclusive party, and you're just like walking around with your mouth open with this goofy grin on your face because you can't believe you're there. Uh, you know, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous preacher, uh, once said that he could always tell if someone was religious and moralistic or if they were a person who changed by grace by asking them a simple question and seeing how they answered. He loved to mess with people. He would, he would go up to someone, he would say, excuse me, are you a Christian? And he said, if a moralistic or religious or pharisaical person answered that question, they would, they would get defensive. They would say, of course I am. What do you mean? Can't you tell? Of course I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm English. Of course, right? So they would get, there was a sense of entitlement, superiority, right? But he said if he, if he asked someone who was truly changed by grace, are you a Christian? They would just laugh. they say, yeah, I am. Can you believe it? <laughs> me. I mean, seriously, of all people, me. Why? Because people who really understand grace, they have a sense of humor about themselves. They have this like levity. They have a, a sense of gratitude. Why? Because they know just how undeserving they were. They know just how far they were. And they know just how much God must deeply and profoundly love them to win them back. Right? And so, friends, if it's not a joke to you uh, that you're a Christian, if it doesn't just fill you with sort of a belly laugh of joy and fill you with grateful praise, then you might not get the gospel. You might think that you're somehow in because you, you worked hard to get there yourself. So that's the first thing, gratitude. Another thing is obedience. Notice that in verse nine, uh, Jonah says this, but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Isn't this amazing? Jonah is ready to obey God. He's ready to make good in his vows. In fact, chapter three, verse one, God's word comes to him again, go to Nineveh. This time, cool God, I'm ready to go. Gets up, good. Now we'll talk about next week what he does when he gets to Nineveh. But nevertheless, he is ready to do what God called him to do. What changed for Jonah? Did he get a clearer directive from God? No, he was very clear what he had to do before. Did he get more laws? No. Did he get a better command? No. What happened to Jonah? Jonah got a heart change. He got a heart change, and a heart change can only happen through grace. Grace alone can change the direction of our lives and take rebels like Jonah who resist and make them want to actually obey the word of God. You know, the law, the commands of God, is a wonderful guide for living, a wonderful way to know how life works. But the law has no power to deliver you from sin. If it did, Jesus would never have had to die. Think of all the times that there's been something in your life that you, you want to change, that you want to do better on, that you want to improve, and you just can't. What do you need? Do you need better commands? 
Do you need better laws, better rules, more willpower, more determination, harder work? No, what you need is grace. Only grace can accomplish what the law demands. As William Cowper wrote many centuries ago, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child, changes duty into choice. Changes duty into choice. Morality and religion always says, I obey, therefore God saves me. Grace says, God has saved me, therefore I obey. I obey out of gratitude. I obey out of love. I obey out of joy. I obey because of the very presence of the Spirit now dwells in me. We want to do what God tells us to do because grace has begun to take root. So friends, change never happens through trying harder. Change always happens through encountering grace. He's ready to do what God wants him to do, obedience. One last thing, though, hope. Hope. I just think, y'all hear me on this, I just think it's so amazing that Jonah is singing for joy about God's deliverance, and he's still in a fish. Did you notice that? He's still in a fish. <laughs> he, has no, he has no inclination or understanding at this point that God is about to spit him up on the, on the, on the lake. He's just still in the fish. Yeah, so what's, I thought a lot about this week. What is going on with Jonah? Here's what's happening, I think. He is so overwhelmed by how radically God saved him from drowning and death that he, is con- he just must be convinced God's going to save him again, Right? He knew that God would somehow redeem the fish situation just like he redeemed the drowning situation. He is just so gripped by the rescue of God. He now has so much hope for the the situation he finds himself in. And what that says to me is that when you really grasp the radical nature of grace and you see how much God loves you and you see how much God has saved you, you get full of hope in God's power to save no matter what you might be facing. And here's why I think this is important. Because I know, I know that there's a lot of you in this room and there's a lot of you in our church who you, you know, you know, if I asked you, you would tell me, you know that you have been saved from sin and you've been saved from death and you've been saved from hell and yet you still find yourself inside of a fish. You still find yourself in like a really tight, dark, isolated, constrained, painful, cut-off situation. And you might even be asking yourself, where is he? You know, sure, sure, I, my sins are forgiven, but I'm still in the fish. Some of you are dealing with a really serious medical diagnosis, like Dave. Uh, some of you, I know, have just had miscarriages. Some of you are dealing with mental illness, like Gay. Uh, some of you are in a meaningless job or a really frustrating financial situation or a painful marriage or a problem with kids. Sure, you're forgiven of sin, but what about this fish that you're in? And I just want to encourage you that what we hear about this from Jonah is that you can remember, you can remember what God has done. You can remember how he has rescued you. You can remember how God has delivered you and therefore he will deliver you again. The God who brought you here will get you out. As, he, as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you hear what he's saying? Y'all, God beat death for you. God conquered hell for you. God triumphed over sin for you. Do you see that anything else that you could be facing right now is just a flea bite to God in comparison to those things? So remember what he's done and remember what he will trust in what he will do. See, I know you cannot understand his ways. I know you cannot perceive his timing. I know you cannot see his face sometimes. But remember, remember that he loves you. Remember what he has done and trust that he will do it again. Take hope. And one day, listen, one day, the Bible says that 
all of God's enemies will be thrown into the sea. It won't be Jonah this time. It will be all of the enemies of God. And on that day, when you and I, we're, we're going to be there together. We're going to be in the new creation together. We're going to be in the kingdom of God together. And, we're gonna, and, and Gay's going to be there in, in her restored and resurrected body, soul, and mind. And we're going to be together there, and we're going to look, and we're going to see all of God's enemies, sin, death, the devil, hell, sorrow, tears, mental illness, destruction, poisonous nightmares, everything that has ever brought destruction to our lives, into our city, into our world, and we will see all of it drowned and dead in the sea. And we will look at each other, and we will say, look what God has done. Look how God has rescued us. Salvation truly is from the Lord. Salvation's from the Lord. Let's pray. We do thank you and praise you, Father, that you rescue us. And not just us, the whole world, you rescue us from sin and death. So help us to be those who are full of grateful, obedient hope as we find ourselves changed by amazing grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.